Our scripture reading today comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 7, verses 10 through 15. But first, let us pray. Startle us, O God. Startle us so that we can hear your old sacred story with new and open ears. Amen. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as shale or as high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, and I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary mortals, that you weary my God also? There the Lord will give you a sign. Look, the woman is with child and shall bear a son, and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now a few of you have noticed that throughout Advent, all of my sermons have been titled with lines from O Holy Night. Those of you who haven't noticed, it's okay. <laughs> the first week of Advent, the title was The Thrill of Hope. Mon Tuesday's longest night service will be Fall on Your Knees. Christmas Eve will be The Soul Felt Its Worth. Matt McCall has arranged lessons and carols around the line, Chains Shall He Break. One of our online worshipers who resides far outside the bounds of South Carolina, they sent me a note wanting to know if we had planned it that way. And I couldn't quite decide how to interpret that question if they were asking because they knew or they thought that maybe cleverness came so naturally to me and so often that it happened without my even noticing or if they were asking because they could only presume that anything clever had to be by sheer accident. It's a fair question. For the record, we planned it that way. And we planned this week's title too. Truly, he taught us to love one another. After all, in our Advent wreath, we lit the candle of love today. The first Advent wreath appeared in Germany in 1839. It was a Lutheran minister. He was working at a mission for children. He created a wreath out of the wheel from a cart, and he placed 20 small red candles and four large white candles all inside the ring. The red candles were lit on weekdays, and white candles were lit on Sundays. He adapted this from a Scandinavian practice that helped citizens remember that long winters would come to an end, that light would eventually return. So we use evergreens and liturgical colors now, but the purpose is still the same, to remind us that light will return. And that was the purpose behind Isaiah's words, too. This is one of those passages where it helps to know a little bit about what's going on right beforehand. Ahaz was the grandson of Judah's King Uzziah. 
During his reign, leaders of other lands were becoming allies, and they were growing in strength, and they were threatening Ahaz and his people, and so they were afraid. Scripture says the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake in the wind. And so God tells Isaiah to go talk to Ahaz and reassure him and tell him to be careful and calm and above all, not to be afraid. Do not lose heart, God says through Isaiah. The worst you are imagining, it will not come to pass, I promise. And then God says, I need you to trust me. You have to trust me if you do not stand firm in faith you will not stand at all. And that's where we pick up with today's reading. God continues to speak to Ahaz through Isaiah, saying once again, trust me, you have to trust me. Please, trust me. Ask me for a sign. Ask me for any sign, one that is as deep as the grave or as high as heaven. And Ahaz, Bless his heart. He says, no, 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 I could never do that. I would never do that. I would never, ever test God. And this is when Isaiah stops speaking for God and starts speaking for himself. You can tell the prophet is at the end of his rope because the summary of his speech is this. Knock it off. Stop it. Forget your false piety. What you are really saying is that you don't trust God. You're afraid to ask for a sign because you're worried that one might not actually appear. So get over it, Isaiah says. If God says that God will send a sign, God will send a sign, whether you think you need one or not. And this time around, he says, the sign will be a baby born to a young woman named Emmanuel, which we know means God is with us. And then Isaiah continues, he says, before that baby is more than even a few years old, all of the kingdoms that threaten you, they will be no more. Because that is God's promise, that threats and war and violence will come to an end. So trust that, won't you? If I've made it sound like Isaiah has a little bit of an attitude, I think he does. It is hard to try and convince people to do the good and right and faithful thing, especially when they persist in doing otherwise. So it's important to remember in that moment when Isaiah speaks with sharpness, he is speaking for himself. When he is speaking the word of the Lord, his words have a different tenor. Ask me for a sign, God says. Ask me. I'll help you. That's what I'm here for, to help you and heal you, to save you and redeem you, to love you and lead you. Because that is the beauty of God's love. God's love knows what we need even before we know. God's love offers in abundance what we are too afraid to even ask about. 
God's love meets us where we are and makes do with who we are. I'll send you a sign, God says. And there is no greater sign of God's love than a baby born and named Emmanuel. Christmas is the celebration of the most magnificent love the world has ever known. For me, as I understand it, it is the single most amazing miracle of our entire story of faith. And it is also the most mundane, maybe even profane, moment of our faith. Because God's love doesn't come to this earth to reside in principalities and powers. God's love comes to fuss and gurgle and coo and cry in a helpless infant. And God's love doesn't come with a giant crack of thunder and all eyes watching with all manner of pomp and circumstance. God's love comes delivered through body and blood under cover of night with the rest of the world completely oblivious. And it is my most fervent prayer that we will not forget that this Christmas or any other. Because when the bottom is falling out and we feel alone, like hope is lost and all is forsaken, when we are overwhelmed by the brokenness of the world, it is easy to think that only an equally overwhelming display of beauty will do any good. And what a tragedy it would be. What an affront to Christmas itself it would be if we were to believe that terrible lie. The Hebrew word that Isaiah uses to speak of divine signs, well, it's used all throughout Scripture, some with miraculous context and some with mundane in Exodus 4, that same word for sign is used when we are told that Moses' staff turns into a snake. And thanks be to God, that does not happen naturally or often. But in Judges 6, that same word is used when Gideon asks a messenger for a sign to prove that it is God's message he's actually bringing. And the sign that Gideon asks for he says, stay here. Stay right here until I can go into my house and make some food for you. That sign he requests could not be more commonplace. Sit, wait, he says. Something that happens every single day, all the time. Whether a sign is marvelous or just ordinary, signs point to God and they help us see that God is alive and well in a world and they help us see that even more clearly. Several months ago, I shared one of my favorite poems with a friend. It was just a couple of days ago that she shared it back with me wondering if perhaps I would hear it differently during Advent. It's titled, Small Kindnesses. 
I've been thinking about the way when you walk down a crowded aisle, people pull in their legs to let you by, or how strangers still say bless you when someone sneezes, a leftover from the bubonic plague, don't die, we are saying. And sometimes when you spill lemons from your grocery bag, someone else will help you pick them up. Mostly, we don't want to harm one another. We want to be handed our cup of coffee hot and to say thank you for the person handing it, to smile at them and wait for them to smile back, for the waitress to call us honey when she sets down the bowl of clam chowder, and for the driver in the pickup truck to let us pass with a wave. We have so little of each other now. We are so far from tribe and fire, only these brief moments of exchange. So what if they are the true dwelling of everything holy, these fleeting temples we make together when we say, here, have my seat. Go ahead, you first. Oh, I like your hat. That God's love comes to us at Christmas is astonishing beyond all expectation. But the way that God's love comes to us is as base and ordinary as it could possibly be. And it assures us that love does not have to be heroic. There will be opportunities to show God's love all around us, everywhere we look, every moment. Now sure, there will always be the stories that sound like the plot of a Hallmark movie. The CEO at the top of her game who quits in order to lead a nonprofit in a small town focusing on alleviating hunger. Or the priest who notices children on the street and raises them as his own. Or the activist who puts their body on the line in the name of justice and refuses to be quiet. There will always be stories like that. And if and when those moments present themselves to you, I hope fervently that you will seize them. But far more commonly, the opportunities will come to show God's love through our daily actions. And I know it doesn't sound like much. But one of the miracles of Christmas is that not much really can become everything. So be patient with your child as they retie their shoe for the ninth time in one morning. Serve a meal at Transitions or the Washington Street Soup Cellar. Hand a granola bar and a new pair of socks to the gentleman on the corner holding up a sign. Send a Christmas card to someone you haven't seen in ages. Take Spanish classes here at the church so you can talk with someone in their first language. Say hello. Ask how someone is doing and then pause long enough to hear the answer. Allow people to see God's love in you through small moments. Because those small moments will increase the likelihood that they will notice God's love in the bigger moments 
some other time. I have become convinced that the big, miraculous, incarnation-sized miracles, well, those really do need to come from God's hand. But the smaller, everyday, manger-sized miracles, well, those can come from ours. We have so little of each other now, only these brief moments of exchange. What if they are the true dwelling of the holy, these fleeting temples we make together when we say, here, have my seat, go ahead, you first. I like your hat. Because truly, he taught us to love one another. And no act of love is too small. Pray with me. Gracious God, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.